Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, would you take it and uh, turn with me to the book of Matthew? Matthew chapter 5, the passage that uh, Pastor Dave read for us a few moments ago. We are in uh, week three of a six-week summer series that uh, we've launched here on uh, the Beatitudes. And we're taking these these next few weeks to to dive into this this set of teaching and to see what Jesus said our attitude should be as we live in the kingdom. And as we put this together, it's been our desire all along to present a series that not only offers you something in rich meaning, but also that's full of uh, practical application. And uh, so as Pastor Keith mentioned in the first service, we're still taking shoes for the city mission that we uh, did in the first week. Um, How many of you wore old shoes today just in case we were going to you're okay. You can still drop those off during the week uh, anytime or uh, bring them in next Sunday in the weeks to come. We're still doing that as part of our, our uh, response to uh, these Beatitudes uh, that was in the first week of our series. But let me, uh, let me just recap quickly uh, where we've been over the past few weeks as we uh, hit this third week now of the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, uh, Matthew reminds us and sets the scene of the time when Jesus was out teaching and preaching. And he was talking about, if you read back at the end of chapter 4, he talks about a lot about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And as we move into chapter 5, we understand that he had done a lot of miracles and a lot of powerful teaching um, back in the, the previous chapter, and it was recorded. And, and he was going from town to town and village to village and countryside to countryside, teaching powerful words about the kingdom of God. When we get to chapter 5, we see that Jesus has, has come from one town and entered into another region, and he is, he is with his disciples, and he has gone up on a mountainside, and he sat down with his disciples those who have said that they wanted to follow him as best that they know who this Jesus is. They've committed themselves to following after him. And so Jesus comes and sits down with these men on the, the mountainside. And as he does so, he sees that the crowds, the crowds that had been following him from town to town and city to city that had heard this teaching, the crowds were, were moving in behind the disciples to continue to hear what Jesus had to say. And so with the disciples in front of him, those who have committed themselves to him, and the crowds behind them, those who are still curious and still checking it out. I'm not really sure who Jesus is, but I'm really drawn to his teaching. I'm not really sure what he means about the kingdom, but I want to see and hear more of what Jesus is doing. With those crowds, curious, Behind the disciples, Jesus looks straight at his committed followers and he says, Blessed are you. And he opens a full discourse over three chapters in the book of Matthew of what it means to live in God's kingdom. It is perhaps the most powerful, if you will, Christian manifesto that we have. This is what it means to live in God's kingdom. This is what it It is like to be a follower after Christ. And as he elaborates on that, on how our lives should reflect these kingdom values, he begins with words of blessing. 
But it's a different kind of blessing. It's not about happiness. It's not about what makes us happy inside. It's not about a feeling. It would be improper and and incorrect to look at what Jesus is saying and, and say to our own selves, you know, if I would live this way, I will find true happiness. If I would just act as Jesus has instructed, then I will be truly happy in every area of my life. Jesus teaches His disciples and speaks to the greater crowd that is gathered. The words that He uses are not about finding personal happiness. And so it's not about how you feel about something. The second thing that's interesting about this is that as Jesus speaks to these people, it's from a completely different perspective. This passage and this idea of being blessed is not about my perspective of how I'm blessed. It's not about how I understand my life and my world and how I understand faith and my working out of faith and looking around me and then looking up to God and realizing, you know what, God, I am really blessed here. That's not the perspective. And so just as the Beatitudes are not about our own feelings about something, they're also not about what I think is valuable or important. What's really remarkable about this idea of blessing, this word makarios that is in the, the, the Greek New Testament, is that it comes, this word blessing, blessed are you, comes from God's perspective as He looks at you. From God's point of view, He looks down and sees you. And so when He sees you living this way, when you live with a poverty in your spirit, when you live as a mourner walking through life, mourning the sin that is in our world, when God sees you living this way, from His perspective, He looks and He says, you're blessed. You are blessed when you live this way. I know you may not feel blessed. You may not feel happy. As you understand the poverty of your spirit, as you mourn the sin and injustice and unrighteousness and and evil that is in this world, that doesn't feel good. Nobody likes to go around feeling good about the poverty in their spirit. Nobody likes to walk around feeling good about mourning in their heart. It's It's a hard process. It's a deep process. And so we don't feel happy about that. But God says, if you live with that life, that attitude in in your life, you are blessed. As I look at you, even though you don't feel happy, and even though in your own perspective of what's happening around you, you are not happy or feel that way, God says you are. As I look at you, as I look at what you're walking through, as I look at how you live, you are blessed. Theologian John R. W. Stott indicates that there's a serious misleading to render Makarios as simply happy. Happiness is subjective. And and here Jesus is making an objective judgment about those whose lives reflect these values. He's declaring not what they may feel, but what God thinks of them. 
and what on that account they are, they are This is what God thinks of you. As you live out these values, as you take on this attitude, God thinks of you when he thinks of you by name as blessed. So when we live this way, we are blessed by God. We are blessed of God and we are blessed for God. Even though we may not feel it, And even though we may not understand the perspective, God says, you are truly blessed. So as the poor in spirit look for the kingdom of heaven, and as the mourners are comforted, we come to Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, and Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Now, to you and me, this may not seem astonishing. We may not recoil with what Jesus is saying. And in fact, we may read it and just skim right over it. Blessed are the meek. But in the context that Jesus is saying this, we can't forget the the setting that Matthew puts this in. This this teaching that Jesus uh, declared would have caused a stir among the people. Blessed are the meek, for the meek will inherit the earth. For centuries, the people that were gathered on this countryside, for centuries, the people and their families that they represent, these people were looking for the inheritance that they had been promised. For centuries, they were looking for somebody that would come and deliver them from oppression. For centuries, they they were looking for somebody that would come and come as a mighty warrior to lead the destruction of their enemies and their oppressors. They were the promised people of God, and they were looking for the promises of God to be fulfilled. For centuries, they were looking for the Messiah who would come and elevate them to what God has promised of them. And Jesus comes and says, blessed are the meek. They were looking for a leader who would come and conquer their enemies. They were looking for boundary markers that would identify their possessions apart from oppression. They were living in a land where they were oppressed by the government. They were living in a land where they were they were, they were controlled by taxes. They were living in a land where where things were being their freedoms were being taken from them. Sound familiar? And they were looking for a military leader who would come in and ride in on a great horse and conquer all the enemies and put all of the oppression aside and elevate their position. They wanted to win a war with might and strength. Here comes Jesus, quoting Psalm 37. We read it together, and, and if you remember what we read In the psalm, the writer was talking about the enemies of the people and not wanting to be like the wicked who seem like they prosper, but just hold on and you will inherit this land. You will inherit the promises of God. So Jesus in this setting is quoting Psalm 37. And in referring back to this Old Testament poetic promise, he turns the idea of kingdom living upside down. 
And he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, it's easy to think of the meek as being wimpy or powerless. It's easy to think of meek as being weak. And that's not true. Meekness does not mean you're the wimpy kid in school always picked for last in gym class. Is that any of you? Just trying to figure out how to fill the softball team next year. Anyway, um, meekness is not weakness. And the idea of being meek is not the idea of being the wimpy kid in class. It has nothing to do with that. Meekness has everything to do with power under control. Meekness is an attitude. Meekness is the attitude of being humble and being gentle, of having power, but having that power under such control that you know how to exercise it in the right and appropriate way. Jesus was called meek. Jesus, we know that uh, as we read through the New Testament, when he comes to the cross, it says he could have called down legions of angels to remove him from that situation. Jesus was not weak. But Jesus had power that was controlled. And he knew exactly how to use and exercise his power. Meekness is about being humble. Free from malice and free from revenge. Just completely different from what the people were expecting. The people on this hillside weren't expecting anything like that. They were expecting great words of conquest. And Jesus says, be meek. Be humble. Be gentle. Take this power and have it under control. They wanted to avenge their history. They wanted to rule the earth the way God had promised. You know, that's kind of the cultural model we have today, isn't it? When you look at the way we live in our world, when you look at the way we operate in society, when we find that success comes from conquering, we advance in life, and get what we want by flexing our muscle and exercising our power over people and over certain situations. We're told in our culture and in our day, in our businesses and in our shops and in our schools and in our communities, that if you want to advance, you have to exercise power. Here's how you exercise your power over somebody else. They may not come out and say it directly, but you get the idea of how to advance in life. You understand how to get to the top. You understand how to make your business succeed. And you see it in the marketplace, and you see it in homes, and you see it in schools, you see it in school PTA meetings, in fact, that the way to advance your agenda is to exercise power and strength no matter who it costs or what it costs or what you do to other people. You just move and step on and keep grabbing and climbing that ladder of success. That's how you succeed in this world. That's how you get what you want. That's how you move forward. That's how we live life. The slightest bit of power, the slightest bit of position or authority, 
And boy, watch out. Because I'm going to tell you what I've been dying to tell you. I'm going to lead you and lead this place the way I've been dying to lead this place. As soon as there's a whiff that your agenda is on the table, you will step on and step over and push aside everybody that was ever in your way to get what you want done. That's the culture we live in. That's the model of this society. And for those who want to be freed from this, we're looking for people that, for, for God to come in and save the day. We even, we even live that cultural model in our practice of, of faith, I believe, in, in the Western world. How many of us come to God expecting Him and asking Him to avenge our injustice through the destruction of opposition? How many of us want to exercise our righteousness and indignation and punish our enemies? How many of us, if truth be told, are tired of, of what is happening to Christians, to Christianity, to religious freedom, and the simple evil and injustice that's in this world, and we want to get back. We want to get back at those who oppress Christianity. We want to get back at those who oppress our freedoms. We want to get back at the courts and the people who are making these decisions that are taking freedom away from us. We pray and we pray that God would come and avenge our injustice, that God would come in wrath, that God would come and pour down on those evil people that are around us that are making these decisions to suppress us. As we pray that, Jesus whispers in our ear. No, God, you don't understand. We have Christians in prison. In the United States, our freedom is being taken. These politicians, and we list them by name, these people on the circuit courts, and we list them by name, they need to be brought down. God, would you rain down your justice on them? Would you pour down your fire on them? Blessed are the meek. No, God, you don't understand. These people are oppressing this freedom that we have. We are looking to spread your name. We want these things avenged. We're calling it. We want lightning to strike and everybody to be brought to justice right here and right now. We're standing for this. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek. God, would you just give my boss a flat tire on the way home? Can you please, right? Jesus says, blessed are the meek. You see, the meek, in addition to being humble and gentle and exercising self-control with the power that they have, the meek clearly understand who they are and are amazed that God can think of them as well as he does. You see, this idea of meekness carries this idea of clearly knowing who I am in the sight of God. Understanding where I've come from. Understanding where I've been. And understanding that with my history, God still loves 
God still opened His grace to me. As I understand the poverty of my spirit, verse 3, as I understand the sorrow of sin, verse 4, I also understand who I am in the sight of God. I am a lowly sinner saved by a merciful God and His grace. When we understand that, no arrogance. None of us can can stand up and puff out our chest and say, look at who I am and and I'm a Christian and this is what we're going to do and we're going to get you and we're going to show you and we're going to pray God's wrath on you. God will have his day. God will bring the judgment when he sees fit in the manner that he sees fit. And until that day, God says, blessed are the meek who are humble, who are gentle, who have power, who are not going to just lay down and get run over. We're not promoting that. We're not promoting that we don't stand up for our rights or speak truth when we need to. But there's a way to do it. There's an attitude behind it. And he says, blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. There's no arrogance when we understand who we are and where we've come from. You know who I am? I'm just like those who oppress me. I'm just like those who hate, who lie, who cheat, who steal. I'm just like them, save one thing. I've been forgiven by grace. The meek clearly know who they are and are amazed at God's love for them. The meek clearly know who oppresses them and are gentle with them, humble and gracious, even if they are being oppressed in the moment. So that they too, may one day know the grace of God. Sometimes in our demand for justice, both spiritual justice and personal justice, we forget. We forget that that until death or the day that this world ends, God's grace is for our enemies too. The kingdom is open to everyone who would say yes to Christ. We can become so full of anger and vengeance that we forget that God loves these people too. Meekness is an attitude. And it's more powerful than we can imagine. For the meek, there's an inheritance. There's a blessing and a promise that the meek will will inherit the earth. And Jesus confirms that this inheritance of the earth. As we read through the Beatitudes, both last the past few weeks today and in the weeks to come, we'll we'll see this idea of blessing. And as we put it into the, the greater context of the New Testament, we understand the blessing of God is not just for, is not just realized in eternity, but the blessing of God also is realized here 
and now. The blessings of God are available to us even now. The blessings that are spoken of are both temporal and eternal. There's this idea throughout the Beatitudes of both now and in the future, you will receive these blessings. As God looks at us, living and acting as He instructs us to in the kingdom, He sees us as blessed both now and in the future. And we see that in Matthew 25 that Pastor Dave read for us when it says, Then the king will say to those on, your, on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom, prepared for you since the creation of the world. But the meek also will begin to receive blessings here and now. You and I can attest to this. We know what it's like to be blessed by God day in and day out. We may struggle day in and day out with the circumstances of life. But as God sees our attitude of meekness living out in the kingdom here and now, in His grace, He does allow and gives us immediate blessing. R.T. France writes that the advantages of being God's people can then be expected to accrue already in this life, even though the full consummation of their blessedness remains for the future. It's, it's like this. It's like, it's like God has this tremendous inheritance waiting for us for eternity. But as He watches us, as He looks down and He sees that we are living out these values and these attitudes and these principles, He doesn't just save the blessings uh, for eternity. He begins to pour out the inheritance already. The inheritance that God has for us is so unbelievable, we can't even imagine everything that God has. And so for us to receive now a little taste of His goodness, a little taste of His grace, is nothing for Him. As He sees us living this out, He blesses us. And we understand that. Obedience does bring blessing. Here, And in the future, many of us know what it's like for God to meet our needs. Many of us know what it's like to be cared for, to in the moment that we need it, God is meeting us right now. So as we put this idea to application today, I want to invite you to this week, Purposefully live your life with an attitude of meekness. Power under control. Humble and gentle in your spirit. Understanding where you've been and even even where you've been, God still loves you. Knowing that wherever other people are, God still loves them. And I want to invite you to be an agent of God's blessing this week. Three ideas to share. First of all, do a network praise post this week. Now, I know a lot of you are on Facebook. I've seen it. I've read your posts. I've seen your pictures. Mr. Baxter, very nice in a tuxedo last week. 
I've seen what you write. I know where you've gone. I know your vacation plan. So I know you're networked. I know you're hooked up. I know you surf the web. I know you do email. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do this week. Post a blessing for another person every day this week. Every day in this coming week, write a post about somebody who has blessed your life. Encourage them. Lift them up. Let them know that you're thankful for them. Encourage their heart for what they've done each day this next week. Praise them. And stand amazed at how God could love you. You're passing that love on to someone else. Secondly, I'm calling this one to take back the terrible twos. Send a note of thanks. Those of us who are parents, we remember the terrible twos, right? Where the kids are just like unruly and nasty and just, they just make you want to pull your hair out, right? I have four kids, that's what happens. The reality is this, there are times in our lives, there are times in our lives when we're just nasty. There are seasons that we go through where we're just, I think it's a good southern word, hateful. You're just hateful. We're just nasty. And we've all lived that. To deny it would be a lie. We've all been there. Seasons where we've been unpleasant and people don't want to be around us. But there's a group of people that we know that loved us through that season. They held our hand. They loved on us. They prayed for us, and boy, did they pray for us to get through that season of nastiness. This week, would you write a note of thanks? Thanking them for carrying you through that season. Write a note of thanks expressing how much it meant to you that that they were with you, that they put up with you, and prayed with you to get through that time of your life. Encourage them. Love back on them. Every year in October, I think, is the month. um, There's something called Pastor Appreciation Month. And we receive notes of thanks and notes of encouragement, for which we are very grateful. But, But there's another team here at our church that embodies the qualities of meekness so well. And they get very little recognition, if any. Every week when you enter the building, rooms are ready. Chairs are set, bathrooms are clean and stocked, and the hallways shine. During the week, when groups meet their need, when groups meet, their needs are met, their spills are cleaned up, and rooms are reset for the next group. Weddings on the weekends and week-long events like VBS are always cared for, and the building is always ready for the next event or the next worship. As we prepared this message, we were trying to think of a group of people that we could honor. And unbeknownst to them, we're asking that you, the family of First Alliance, honor our facilities team over the next couple weeks. Over the next few weeks, would you please send a card of appreciation? Would you send them a note of thanks? Would you bake the cookies that you bake and 
give it to them. I promise you the pastors will stay out of it. These guys serve us and in their serving, they minister to us through their work. I know for a fact that that as they work, I don't know if you know this, as they work, they're praying. As they come in and sweep this sanctuary week to week, they're praying for the ministry of this church. As they clean the halls, they're praying for the people that will walk those halls. As they set up classrooms and clean classrooms, they're praying for the kids and the students and the, the adults that are in those rooms. They're praying for you. We don't honor them enough. They've not asked for it. In fact, they don't even know that we're talking about it today. I think one or two of them are here now. But we ask you, as the church family, to honor them. Encourage them. Their names are on the screen behind me, and their names are are pinned up on the bulletin board in the foyer. I'm sure they walked through the hallway today wondering why their name was on the board. I thought they were in trouble, but just love them, will you? Express to them how much you appreciate what they do. And they do it with a meek and gentle spirit. Even though there are challenges with the grounds here, even though there are challenges with this facility, the air conditioning in three different zones and whether it's working right or not. They've never complained about their job. They've never complained about their hours or their work. And they've never complained about you, the church. Do your best. Do what's right. Do what you can to encourage them this week. So as we close... I'm going to ask you to commit your heart to what God is speaking to you about today in this attitude of meekness. What needs to change in your life so that you could present and and live your life in the kingdom with this attitude of power under control, this attitude of being humble and gentle to, to the people that are around you that some of them just press in and oppress you at every turn. How can you live with that attitude of meekness? And who is God putting on your heart to be sure that you show meekness to? This idea of understanding full well where I've been and God can still shine His grace on me. So I'm going to understand where you are And pray that God's grace would touch you and be an agent of that grace. How does he want you to live this week with that attitude of meekness? Let's pray. Father, thanks for our time in your word. Would you just um, seal this in our hearts and allow us to know full well how to live this out? It's not simple and it's not as easy as as we've presented it. But on the other hand, it is. It's, it's an attitude adjustment. It's an attitude that says, I want to be humble and gentle.
I want to love others the way God's loved me. Help us to do that and live in this kingdom. It's in Christ's name we pray.